You're listening to Bethany Radio. More content is available on iTunes or online at BethanyBibleLeroy.com. Well, praise the Lord that we can put a name to hope. Emmanuel, Jesus, So we worship today. If you just want to take your scriptures, your Bible in front of you and turn to the book of Romans once again. We're in those greetings of Paul where we'll be again. And uh, talking about Christmas cards last week, and here in our box that same day was a Christmas card, so some of you are really, you are on time with those greeting cards, and that's great, and others we wish we did last year, whatever, but uh, we're in this section, if you want to turn to Romans 16, verse 3, all the way through 16 we're going to look at this morning, and on your way there, I've got one picture from Oliver from last week, we were looking at Phoebe from last week. Phoebe, supposedly, maybe the one that brought that letter of Romans to the church at Rome. Here, Oliver's got her. Here you go. The Romans saying, thank you. That's awesome. So glad you got, Oliver, you figured that out, put that together. So we just looked at two verses, kind of we slowly through two. Now we go through three through 16, all these verses here of greetings. We're going to look at it together, see what the Lord has for us in this Section. So let's first begin. Let me just read through it. Let's listen to God's Word. Be attentive. What would the Lord bring out of this, even this listing for you this morning? He says, Greet Prisca and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risked their necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. Greet also the church in their house. Greet my beloved Epinetus, who, has, who was the first convert to Christ in Asia. Greet Mary, who has worked hard for you. Greet Andronicus and Junia, my kinsmen and my fellow prisoners. They are well known to the apostles, and they were in Christ before me. Greet Ampliatus, my beloved in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ, and my beloved Stachus. Greet Apelles, who is approved in Christ. Greet those who belong to the family of Aristobulus. Greet my kinsman Herodian. There we go. Greet those in the Lord who belong to the family of Narcissus. Greet those workers in the Lord Tryphona and Tryphosa. Greet the beloved Persis, who has worked hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord. Also his mother, who has been a mother to me as well. Greet Asyncretus, Philegon, Hermes, Patrobas, Hermas, and the brothers who are with them. If you need some baby names, here you go. Uh, verse 15, greet Philogus, Julia, Nereus, and his sister, and Olympus, and all the saints who are with them. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ greet you. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, as we open up, this too, in chapter 16, these greetings are part of your canon, part of your word, and worthy to be studied and considered. So guide us in our study of them this morning, that you would bring to light what this looks like, what this passage even is teaching us and can teach us um, through your word. Guide the preaching of it, guide the hearing of it, again, by your spirit that we would grow closer, Lord, as a body together and in the Lord, in you. And so we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. 
I want you to look at this list, consider this list I just read through, and the names aren't so easy. I'll be reading through them again as we go here. But consider this list on the whole that we have before us. Some of this list represents a church that's meeting in a certain house. Some are of a household, even of a high-ranking Roman official. Some could be that. We'll look at that. Not that maybe the official was a Christian, but those of the household. Maybe it's his, even his slaves. Many on this list, they're fellow workers of Paul. They're people he knows. They're hard workers. Uh, one, they're fellow prisoners. They're, some are even kinsmen. They're relatives. And he says they are, for many, they are beloved. One commentator, John Phillips, makes this comment regarding Paul's greetings here. He says he doesn't lump them all together and say, Right? If we could study one verse, and just, he doesn't say greetings to all the saints at Rome. He's got this list here. Uh, Philip says, love delights to single out its objects and recall them one by one. Love particularizes. He calleth his own sheep by name, said the good shepherd, describing his intimate knowledge of each one. Just so Paul, the great under-shepherd, shows here what a true pastor heart he had. And though Paul had never physically been to Rome, he knows many there, or at least he's heard of them. And we're given here, I think, a very practical lesson on what it looks like to share this beloved fellowship, call it a holy kiss, as verse 16 does, with other believers. And so Paul puts into action, he leads by example what it means to, chapter 12 would say, love one another with brotherly affection, or chapter 15 would say, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. So this passage tells us something about Paul, and it tells us something about the greater church, even of Rome. Think of Rome, a very pagan, an idolatrous, a very lost, sexually perverted city, and yet here in the midst of it, there are many in the Lord. There was a church there, a remnant of God's grace, and by God's grace in Rome. And so too in our own, in the region of northern Iowa or southern Minnesota, where a remnant gathers here, a remnant of God's grace, to gather and worship and also to proclaim His light in the darkness around us. Now, if you look through this list, you may not want to do the math here. I count there's 26 people, and if we would spend five minutes on each person, if you can do the math, that's about 130 minutes, a little over two hours spent on this. Harrison is flying in later this afternoon, so you're relieved. We've got to go pick him up, so it won't be that, that long. Um, but rather than trying to be fancy or put this all together, trying to lump, get some uh, maybe categories, that sort of thing, I can only just go through this list with you. And you might say, wow, that's a long, it will spend about a minute or two on each. Some longer, some go really quick. But I think it's worth it just to look through this list. Think about how Paul addresses these certain ones. And again, maybe the Lord, by His Spirit, you pick up something on on each of these as we go through. Just get a picture of this beloved fellowship that's going on here. So our first stop, we come to some familiar names, although uh, maybe spelled a little different here. Look at Romans, uh, look at the first, at verse 3 through the first part of verse 5. Greet Prisca and Aquila. You might know them as Priscilla and Aquila. My fellow workers in Christ Jesus. They get a long explanation. Verse 4, Who risked their necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well 
Greet also the church in their house. This couple, Prisca, Priscilla, spelled a little differently, the same couple. We've, we see them, they show up in other places in Ephesus and in Corinth. They're like Paul's, his close companions. And now we find that they're in Rome. And so some people in this list get a pretty short description. Some get longer. That's Priscilla and Aquila, or Prisca and Aquila. They're fellow workers of Paul. I don't think he means fellow workers as they worked and did the same job, although that, that could be. They were. They were tent makers, and so they would travel around and do their tent making. They were in that business the same as Paul. Uh, one speculation is that maybe their headquarters was Rome, and then they would branch out in their tent making business and head to places like um, Ephesus or maybe Corinth. or They, they traveled from there. But I think the, the, their term, fellow workers, is connected, is tethered to Christ. They're working for his kingdom. That's how they're fellow workers. And they're not only fellow workers, they risked their lives for Paul. We don't know how, we don't know where that happened, other than that Paul just owes his life to this couple. This couple. And the Gentile churches also give thanks for this, and we ought to as well. For if they saved Paul's life, Paul was around to write the letter to Romans, which we benefit immensely from in in terms of the gospel and knowing of our Lord. So we're thankful, too, for this couple, however that was that they risked their lives. And verse 5 says they had a church in their house. Not only their house in Rome, we'll find elsewhere they had a church. I think it was their home in Ephesus as well. So they might be tent makers. They might be transient. They might be on the road quite a bit. But that road involved gathering of the saints, much like what we're doing here involved the church. Priscilla, Prisca, and Aquila. Epinatus is next. Look at the last part of verse 5. Greet my beloved Epinatus, who was the first convert to Christ in Asia. He's not only the beloved of Paul, he's also he's a first fruit, or like the ESV says, a first convert in Asia. In Asia here, I know we think of Asian food, we think of China or Japan or something like that. This is Asia, more Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey, that type of Asia. Not the Turkey of Thanksgiving, the place, the country, uh, Turkey. Regarding this con- conversion of Epinatus, here's what Doug Moo writes. He says, Paul may mention him here because he was brought to faith through the mi- ministry of Prisca and Aquila and has now come with them to Rome, maybe as a business associate or a ministry worker. So, whatever the case, Paul can remember Epinatus. He's one of the first fruits of the gospel in Asia. Maybe it's through Priscilla, or Prisca and Aquila, or maybe it's through Paul. I just want to ask, do you have one of those Epinatus that you can recall? Maybe someone you've witnessed to about Christ. You can say, this was a first fruit. I saw a first convert. We're, we've got no guarantee of our of our. Evangelism. We have a guarantee of God's efforts in evangelism that he will so bring to himself those whom he calls. Uh, but we, we don't know. We preach the gospel to everyone, everywhere. And Lord willing, maybe you have an epinatus or are encouraged to go share the gospel this season, this Christmas season, and see a first fruit, a convert to Christ. Epinatus. Maybe first in your neighborhood or your area. Verse 6 takes us to Mary. 
Greet Mary who has worked hard for you. Here's Mary, second woman of our study today, third after Phoebe. So you've got three women already, and I don't, I don't think Paul, he's trying to be 50-50, make sure I got the mention, you know, and be politically correct. He's just saying, here's some women, here's men and women both, and they are hard workers. This Mary, she's worked hard for you, and I remember her. Greet her. How she toiled, we don't know, but it's clear. She worked hard for the church. And even in thinking this, I can think of Mary's among our own body here. Now, verse 7 is a little more detailed again. Greet Andronicus and Junia, my kinsmen and my fellow prisoners. They are well known to the apostles, and they were in Christ before me. Now, there's some debate here in the Greek as to whether Junius here, or you've got Junia in the ESV, if you can find your little note, three that says maybe it's Junius, and the different accenting in that. There's some debate whether this was a male or a female. And in the Greek, you can tell you by the endings of words, which is which. I think Junius or Junia is a female, and I think we've got a couple here, much like Priscilla and Aquila, Andronicus and Junia. Uh, They're fellow kinsmen. I take that to mean fellow Jews and fellow prisoners. We we don't know where, but it would seem that this couple had had also served time with Paul. But it's the connection to the apostles here in this verse that raises some, some questions, depending on how your translation translates this. Were these two apostles as well, this Andronicus and Junius, were they apostles? Some, some of the wording and some of the version, maybe it says they were among the apostles, which gives you the impression, well, they were one of the apostles, among them in that way. Again, as last week, I'm going to let Kevin DeYoung answer here uh, helpfully um, why he doesn't think that's the case, that they're apostles in the sense of apostles like Paul and the, the Twelve of Christ. He says some Christians use this verse to argue that a woman can exercise authority over men because Junia, a woman, was an apostle. This is a thin argument for several reasons. He lists three here. First, it's likely that Junia is a man, not a woman, and that's the debate. I see her as a woman. Kevin DeYoung sees as a man. So that would, you know, okay, take out the woman part. Second, he says, outstanding, quote, outstanding among the apostles. I think if you're reading an NASB, that's what you've got there. Outstanding among the apostles. Does that mean she or he was, was an apostle. He said that suggests that Junia was held in esteem by the apostles, not that she was an apostle. And so I think that's how the ESV translated. Someone that's, um, let's find our place here. They, were, they are well known to the apostles. So you've kind of got a difference. They're not, doesn't sound like they are apostles. They're well known to them. That's another take. He says, third, okay, even if Junia was a woman, and was an apostle, it's not clear that she was an apostle like the twelve. Apostle can be used in a less technical sense as a messenger or representative. So that's how the word, it can mean sent one, can mean less technical, less official. All right, so there's enough ambiguity here not to reach any firm conclusion. I tend to see, again, like I said, Junia as a, being a woman, the wife of Andronicus and Maybe even their early conversion. One Mu uh, proposes maybe there were some of the Hellenistic Jews that were in Jerusalem. Um, he doesn't say that. I think maybe around Pentecost when those, those Jewish people, they were gathered there. 
Maybe this was Andronicus and Junia at that time, and from there they spread out. So I think the apostles in Jerusalem would have known this couple, because maybe they were there as well, if they were in Christ before Paul was. And so some of that begins to make sense when you think of the setting and where they may have been. Well, Paul knows of them. They are in Rome. And we get to three greetings in verses 8 through 9. Let's just take those together. Verses 8 through 9. Greet Ampliatus, my beloved in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ, and my beloved Stachus. Ampliatus, male, man, is short. It's, it's, he's just got my beloved in the Lord. And yet here's, here's in a sense, this is Paul's holy kiss, if you will, the sign of fellowship even to Ampliatus. There's one interesting note here in Rome. Um, there's a certain catacomb, these underground cemeteries. And in one, of, in one of them, in one Christian cemetery, you've got an inscription to an am, Ampliati. So maybe that's his tomb that's here, even in our day, that I think it was in the late 1800s they found this. Um, but that's pretty interesting, of note for Ampliatus. We've got Urbanus here as well. He's a fellow worker, just like Prisca and Aquila. Again, we learn from this, Paul's no island. He's no, he's no out there solo in ministry. There's others. There's fellow workers. There's a togetherness. There's a sharing of the load. And again, note Urbanus even, our fellow worker, how? In Christ. He's, it's a work tethered. It's latched on to Christ. And then very short, you've got my beloved Stachus. Doug Moose says of Stachus, we know nothing about Stachus, which isn't entirely true because he's here. And we actually know what? He's Paul's beloved. We do know that. So that's not nothing. Uh, MacArthur, I just, for fun, he's got his name in Greek, means uh, ear of corn. That's Stachus. So there's another baby name for you. Ear of corn. In the Greek, somehow. Uh, okay. Apelles in verse 10. Greet Apelles, who is approved in Christ. Approved. You could translate approved there as tried and tested in Christ. James 1.12 would use a similar word. James 1.12 puts it like this. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, that's the same root word, he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. That's a palace. He's one approved or tested and tried. Either way, however you see that, it's an honor to be known for a palace. He's known as one approved, known as one tried and tested. May we be known for that as well. Well, the second part of verses uh, 10 and 11 then take us a little more into government, empire, we're in Rome, the emperor, that type of connections. Look at the second part of verse 10 into 11, where it says, Greet those who belong to the family of Aristobulus. Greet my kinsman, Herodian. Greet those in the Lord who belong to the family of Narcissus. Now we get narcissism from that, but that's from a myth, mythological god uh, in, in Greek mythology, not this narcissist, not that, not that one. But regarding Aristobulus, pretty interesting here. He could be, he could be, a lot of these are, he could, right? We don't have them in other places, but he could be the grandson of Herod the Great. 
Now, there was more than one Herod. Herod the Great, think of the Herod that had live at the time of Christ's birth, the one that had all the babies in Bethlehem slaughtered under the age of two. That Herod, this Aristobulus, at least the house of Aristobulus, could have been maybe a grandson of that Herod. Again, nobody's certain. But in the wording there, who belonged to the family, I think it's, it's that idea, belonged to the household of this Aristobulus, maybe not Aristobulus himself. Maybe these, again, were his slaves. And, and it's possible that even Aristobulus could have died by the time Paul was writing this, even though the house name would kind of stick with him. Leon Morris explains this. He says it's, it's not unlikely that on his death, Aristobulus, his slaves, so the slaves of Aristobulus, they, they passed to the emperor. If they did, they would collectively retain the name those of Aristobulus. There would be many Jews in such a household, and this may have opened up the way for the gospel. However it happened, Morris continues, it's of interest that there were Christians in such a household in Rome. And also here, you've got Herod, Herodian, fellow Jew, and, and Narcissus. Narcissus. Again, house of Narcissus, again, not maybe Narcissus himself, that household is addressed. And so these are those who are in the Lord. Greet those in the Lord in these households. So in the midst of this line of Herod, Herod the Great, the the awful one that came into Bethlehem, in that household, in these government officials here, that are not known for Christ-likeness, in a city not known for Christ-likeness, here is God doing his impossible work to put Christians in these places. We've got to think today, same thing. God is still at work to accomplish his purposes, even in such unlikely places. We can be encouraged through this. All right, let's try to get through the next verse 12. Greet those workers in the Lord, Tryphena and Tryphosa. Some of you got the dad joke there. Uh, there's two of them. Greet the beloved Persis who has worked hard in the Lord. Very shortly here, we've got three names. These are three women, feminine. They're all toiling and they're working hard, much like Mary in verse 6. How? Working hard in the Lord. Toiling much in the Lord. Again, this work, even hard work for the kingdom is tethered to the Lord, tethered to Christ, and that's these three women here. Now, in verse 13, we meet someone that we may have seen before, and that is Rufus. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, also his mother, who has been a mother to me as well. All right, so Rufus, his mom, was like a mom to Paul, it's possible that this same Rufus is the one mentioned in the book of Mark, chapter 15, verse 21, where it's Rufus, his father, Simon of Cyrene, if that rings a bell, who carries the cross of Christ to uh, Calvary. Maybe this is the same Rufus here. Further, it says he is chosen in the Lord. And normally the word for chosen in the Lord means elect in the Lord. We've seen that in chapter 8, verse 33. Paul says there, it's a question, who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It's the same type of word there. 
but many other good commentators, they see it maybe meaning more for Rufus here, at least in this place, as a choice one in the Lord. I think that's how the NASB puts it. I lean towards chosen, elect, in that normal sense. We see that elsewhere in other places, but I think I can see others would see uh, Rufus as a, a choice one, maybe an exemplary one in the Lord. Harder for me to see that as in terms of the other one. The doctrine of election doesn't rise or fall on, on this particular verse. So a couple options there. All right, verses 14 and 15, we actually cover a lot of ground. I'll, I'll read through them again. But you see them listed there. S, S and Greek, Titus, Phlegon, Hermes, Petrobus, Hermas, and the brothers who are with them. Verse 15, greet Philogus, Julia, Nerus, and his sister, and Olympus, and all the saints who are with them. Look at that. The brothers who are with them, the saints who are with them. So there's actually 26 people, but quite a bit more people here. There's generally these brothers who are with them. And I take that to mean brothers, brothers, sisters in Christ, saints who are with them. Both seem to be pictures, verse 14 and 15, pictures of gatherings of believers, pictures of a church or churches. Maybe some, maybe in verse 14, the Asyncretitis, Phlegon, those, those guys, maybe those are some of the leaders within the church. Uh, some like Philogus and Julia, maybe a husband-wife team that host a church in their house. Matthew Henry writes of these groups. He says, Lest any should find themselves aggrieved, as if Paul had forgotten them, he concludes with the remembrance of the rest, as brethren and saints, though not named. In Christian congregations, there should be smaller societies linked together in love and converse, I think, con- like conversation, and taking opportunities of being often together. Doug Moo makes a comment here on these two verses, and he says that this last group seems to have apparently made their house available for Christians to meet in it. They made their house available. Maybe Philogus, Julia, much like Prisca and Aquila here, with the church that that, uh, meets in their house. We have a wonderful place to gather here, lots of many places, growing number of places where we can gather have a tea over here, have a youth room downstairs, and so forth. There is one other place for you to gather, and that is your home. And I don't know how the Lord would even use this, this kind of this smattering of a greeting list here to just encourage how you're using your home. And I know many of you are using your home and thinking of that, that God's glory, the gospel type of man uh, uh, ideas there and looking at it that way. But just a challenge for us. How are we using our homes? Is it just... Just a castle with a moat says, you know, go away. Our dogs might do that. You know, the barking dogs and that sort of thing. But is it a place where you can welcome? Welcome fellow believers to have a meal? Maybe I'll just, when's the last time? I'll just ask myself that when's the last time you had somebody over from our gathering for a meal in your home? Maybe consider that this season. Or consider your home and having somebody outside of uh, the church over to your house. There would be a place, kind of like a, it's been said, like a lighthouse for the gospel in a dark world around. All right, well, that didn't take that long, did it? We got through all of these names, and we come to really, I think, just the, the center in verse 16 and the phrase that ties it all together. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ greet you. 
Paul ends, he ends this passage with all the churches of Christ greet you. This, this, I think, refers, you've got one global universal church everywhere, Africa, Asia, wherever, made up of who? Those who are in Christ, whether Jew or Greek or male or female or slave or free, young or old. There's this global gathering of believers, the global church. And yet, within that global universal church, there are local places, local houses. Some are in Rome. Some are scattered among the places and places where Paul had ministered in, in Asia and Macedonia, all these different places. So we're part of this, this global network of Christ followers. And Paul sends kind of this global greeting to the churches. It seems like there's more than one here, isn't it? The church at Rome or the, the church is. But it's this greeting with the holy kiss that I want to close with. And I can, I can envision, maybe humorously, some young man dating a girl going, I think we ought to start studying the Bible. And we need, you know, James says we should not only hear, but we should go do. So it's got a holy kiss, so there's something to that. And let me just say, young man, that's not what this passage is saying. Um, but it was a good try. And uh, maybe because it came up in my mind as well. I don't know that I ever used that with, with you, Hannah. But anyway, um, but it's this greeting. It's a greeting of affection. The, the, the Greek word here for this holy kiss, for kiss, is actually philemati. You can hear in there philo. Philo, you've got agape for love, philo for love. Some see them as very distinct. I, don't, I think they're sometimes similar. But it, the love and affection, this idea of kiss. But with it is what? And this takes the boyfriend out of this. It's holy. Hagio. It's a holy kiss. It's not anything. This isn't a sensual. This isn't a romantic thing that Paul says to greet with, this is a kiss of friendship. It's a holy kiss of close fellowship of brothers and sisters who are in Christ. In a way, you can look back at all these greetings, and that's what Paul has done in these 13 verses by his words. He's personally, he's affectionately, he has greeted so many here by name. And then he points out even beyond just knowing their name, which is a good encouragement for us to know one another's names. And sometimes I'm asking and help me remember. And those are the, but to know one another. If there's somebody here you don't know their name, go up, ask them their name, get to know a name. But beyond that, Paul also encourages their qualities, points them out. Your fellow workers, your hard workers, your beloved, your tried and tested, your chosen. And so what Paul does here in this, he also calls the churches to Rome to do as well. Greet one another with a holy kiss. And what is it, though, about the kiss that speaks to this fellowship? I, it, quite practically, if you think of a kiss, and not in a sensual and a romantic way, but just maybe a kiss on the cheek, or you, you've seen that in different cultures, what, what is it? Well, one, you're, just, you're, you're in close vicinity to this person, whether they have good smelling breath or not. It's just there's this idea of closeness. Now, somewhere along the way, this practice fell out of our normal pattern. I'm not here to, to resurrect it per se today. It could have been, uh, one writer, it could have been abused, wrongly used. Um, you know, one said maybe it's just men kissing men, women kissing many women. 
holy kiss, that idea. Um, so again, not sure we need to bring it back, but I think the, the principle to be gleaned is here. The principle of this holy kiss, this, this greeting. Paul, he just greeted a large swath of the church at Rome. He's, he's kissed them, if you can think of it that way, with words and encouragement. Because he sees these, most all of these, you, I mean all of them, but I mean most you've got these words, in Christ, in Christ, in the Lord, in the Lord, in the Lord. He sees these. These are fellow brothers in Christ, in the Lord. And again, it's the Lord that gives us even that close fellowship, not just the physical greeting of a kiss. So I want to close briefly just with one call and one challenge. One call coming out of this, one challenge. The call is, before we can greet one another, before we can even do this, greet with a holy kiss, I must ask you personally, you, are you counted as among those in the Lord? Have you greeted the Lord or is he greeted you? Are you greeting the Lord? Do you know this one called Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ? We've sung about him. He is the hope of Christmas. He's the hope for sinful men and women. So before we can greet one another, we must have greeted the Lord Jesus. It's the fourth, fourth verse of O Come All Ye Faithful. Yea, Lord, we greet Thee. Born this happy morning, Jesus, to Thee be all glory given. Word of the Father, now in flesh appearing. You've heard that in John. O come, let us adore Him. O come, let us adore Him. O come, let us adore Him, Christ the Lord. Do you, sinner, do you adore this Savior. You adore Christ. I would encourage you today, if that, i do not sure, I don't know where I'm at, I don't know if I'm part of the church, talk to somebody you're sitting around. Talk to me afterwards. Drill this down. Confirm you know this Christ. Not, and you're part of this church. Not that you're physically present. Have you been given new life in Christ? A member of the body of Christ. So there's a call here. Number two, the challenge for believers. The challenge. Let me ask, how goes your holy kiss? Again, I'm not thinking, I need to get up and demonstrate. How is, how is that fellowship? May this type of fellowship, this level of fellowship and encouragement by Paul, may it characterize us, that we look like this. We greet. We greet one another. And I'm I'm guilty, hey, and kind of forget the person or move it, or I got something to get to. And there's times you, you move on, that sort of thing. But just to be encouraged, how do we greet one another? To kiss one another, in other words. To, to get close enough to care, to pray for that person, to ask about them, to encourage a fellow brother or sister in Christ. Greet one another with a holy kiss. I think you could sum it up. It's to do as Paul commands in chapter 12, verse 10. And that's to love one another with brotherly affection. May the Lord help us do that. Let's ask his help. Lord, it's quite a list that we've been through this morning. Again, acknowledging this too is your word. I don't know how your spirit has worked in each heart here. Maybe it's just a description that we say, but we're falling short, or I, w- I want to be that one. I want to be like that one tried and tested, or I want to be, be a fellow worker. I want to be known to work hard. Lord, just uh, 
Guide us, Lord, where those things come to be convicted, to be challenged by this passage, to be challenged whether we are truly greeting you. Are we adoring you? And that informs our greeting of one another. And then, Lord, quite simply, help us to greet one another with brotherly affection, like Paul, to take this example and see this intimacy, see this kiss by words, that we would know one another among us so deeply that we also could greet one another and encourage one another and build one another up. Lord, in this season, we need this. In this world, we need this. We need each other that is gathered here. I pray that you would lead us through this for your glory in this place and as a light into this particular region where you have placed us. Bethany Bible Church. In-